Hey there, it's a Military Monday here on the EP Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Austin Horton. Got a lot of news to talk about from over the weekend. Not sure how we're going to fit it all in, but we're going to give it a try. Uh, the Jazz are underway in Orlando. The scrimmages ha- have been interesting. They've uh, revealed a lot. They've also kept a lot hidden because you can't really tell who is and who isn't, uh, as far as teams are concerned, playing for real and who is just taking it or when they're taking it as uh, a warm-up of sorts and when they're taking it seriously, you never know. So we'll talk about the first two and get ready for today's third and final scrimmage before uh, the actual games begin on Thursday. We got to talk about what uh, one NBA player is in uh, inv- under investigation for after having left the Orlando bubble. We got to talk about some good and bad news out of the world of baseball and a little bit of hockey and college football. A little bit of everything for you today, so we got to get moving because we also need to make the focus more about Military Monday today as we do each and every week here on the EP Podcast. Uh, Hope you're doing well. Hope everyone in your life is happy, healthy, and doing just fine. And if not, hopefully that turns back around for the better really, really quickly. Want to start as we do each and every day with this day in sports history, today being July 27th. July 27th, 1959, I had never heard about this. This is the first I'm ever uh, learning of this, but pretty interesting. The Continental League, which would have been a third major league for baseball, along with the American and National Leagues, was formally announced with teams in Denver, Houston, Minneapolis, and St. Paul, New York City, and Toronto. However, there was no coordination with Major League Baseball, and the league disbanded a year later without ever having played a single game. Well, now you see there are teams in Denver, the Rockies, in Houston, the Astros, Minneapolis, St. Paul, the Twins, New York City, that would be the Yankees and Mets were already there, and Toronto, the Blue Jays. So 1959, uh, the Continental League had never heard of that. July 27th, 1986, Greg LeMond, the first American to ever win the Tour de France. 1992, U.S. men's basketball team destroyed Croatia 107, or excuse me, 103 to 70 in the first round of the Summer Olympics in Barcelona. You just saw this uh, game laid out in great detail in the docuseries The Last Dance as uh, general manager of the Bulls had announced that Croatia star Tony Kukoc had been signed to play for the Bulls. Kraus waxed poetically about Kukoc's abilities and Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen made it a point to uh, demoralize him against uh, th- when they played him that day. 1993, sad news on July 27th. Celtics forward Reggie Lewis died of sudden, card- sudden cardiac arrest. He was just 27 years old. He was practicing in the offseason at Brandeis University in Walton, Massachusetts. In 95, the Celtics retired his jersey number. And then, of course, this day, July 27th, 1996, was the day the pipe bomb exploded in in Centennial Olympic Park during the Summer Olympics in Atlanta. Uh, security guard Richard Jewell, who, whose name was just destroyed by the FBI and the media, uh, he discovered the bomb and cleared out spectators, saving, saving countless lives, uh, later became accused and, and uh, pretty much publicly prosecuted as the assumed terrorist that did it, uh, he was cleared, obviously, because he was innocent, and the truth almost always eventually comes out. 
uh, and domestic terrorist Eric Rudolph pled guilty to the bombing in 2005. If you have not seen the movie Richard Jewell, it is an absolute must-see. I would recommend it five times out of four. Richard Jewell, uh, and uh, he, he sadly he died uh, with his name luckily cleared, but he was never really the same person after the FBI botched that investigation in 1996. There you go. This day in sports history. All right, as we take a look back on the first two scrimmages of three total scrimmages the Jazz will have there in Orlando, I uh, had the pleasure of being on the, the soundboard for both the Phoenix game and the Miami game. I'll be on the board again today as the Jazz take on the Nets, wrapping up the run-up to the seeding games, or the finale to the regular season, really, uh, that will start on Thursday night uh, for uh, for reals, for realsies. But wanted to take a look back and let you hear f- uh, some of the first play-by-play that you've heard from David Locke and Ron Boone since March 9th, really. March 11th was not real. You didn't get any game play-by-play. So 136 days had passed since the last time you heard David Locke and Ron Boone call Utah Jazz action. And uh, then you had the, the the game against the Phoenix Suns last Thursday. Donovan Mitchell dropped 17. Rudy Gobert had a strong showing. He got a good third quarter from Mike Conley, although the Jazz did fall to Phoenix in game one. Here's how that one sounded last Thursday. If there's been a sensation to the early basketball and the practice, it's been Bradley. Defends well here in the post to Aiton and forces a miss. Jazz on the run the other way. Niang turns it over. Back come the Suns. Ty Jerome. Left-hander gets in the lane. Pass O'Neal. Hands to Aiton for an easy slam. Suns have hit 10 of 16. Jazz started hitting three of their first four shots in one of their last eight. Donovan holding tight in the right corner with a left foot outside the lane. The Steps back for a three, got it. Oh, and he knew it right away. Yeah, you can always tell when he feels and knows it's going in because he's as soon as he hits the floor, he's going the other way. Here's Booker. Nice defense by Donovan Mitchell taking the charge as Booker got by Clarkson on the left side. Donovan came in and took the charge. Well, and that's what you want to see defensively. I mean, helping each other out. Donovan does a great job of getting in front of Booker, who's one of the best, I think, at getting to the basket. Donovan works to the left side up at the NBA logo, right next to where it says Black Lives Matter on the floor. He'll play a pick and roll with Conley. They get the guard-to-guard switch. He kicks it out to Clarkson. Catch and shoot. Left side three. Good. Perfect execution. That's a Mountain America three for the Utah Jazz. Outlet to Conley. Works the right side of the floor. Conley works to the baseline, puts up his little floater and scores it. Back-to-back buckets for Mike. O'Neal drives, flares it out to Clarkson. Nice pick by Bradley, frees him for a three, and he buries it. Jazz are on a 14-2 run, and it's now a 63-61 game. Jazz have hit 8 of 17 from three. Moutier to the front court. Manuel, originally from the Congo, then immigrated to Dallas, Texas. Swings it up top to Niang. Quick release three from the top is good for George. George is three for three from three today, and the Jazz have shot the three ball very well. Here comes a pick and roll. Draw! Rajon Tucker rolls through the lane and gets up high and shows his dunk championship skills with a slam dunk. NBA basketball is back. Jazz lose it 101-88. But who's counting, really? The, the, The results only matter as to how guys were playing not how the team overall won or lost. That, that ultimately does not matter in these scrimmages. And then on Saturday, the Jazz did get the win, although they were up big against the Miami Heat at various times throughout the game. 
relented, gave up that big lead. The Heat came back, uh, took the lead at some point in the uh, near the end of the third or start of the fourth, I want to say. The Jazz bench players, mostly Salt Lake City Stars roster members, uh, held on, though, for the close two-point win over uh, the Miami Heat, 101-99. to Here's how, how that one sounded on Saturday afternoon. Royce O'Neal driving, lobs it up to Rudy, who gets another easy one. Rudy's 5-for-5 five five and has 13 points to lead the Jazz. 35-34 Utah. Drogic comes off it with the top of the key. Jumper no good. Rebound comes out. Jazz Clarkson on the run, working through traffic, a little off balance, finds a cutting. Moutier kicks to Donovan, catch and shoot three, whap. Donovan Mitchell for three. Donovan drives, lobs to Rudy for another dunk, and Rudy's seven for seven today. Low pick and roll for Conley. This time he goes behind the three-point line, fires, and it rolls around and in. Mike Conley is having quite a quarter. He was dominant in the third quarter the other night against Phoenix, and he is again. He's got 15 points. And all but three of them in the quarter. Top to Olenek, who has 14 points. He'll take a three over Bradley. It'll swirl out, and Clarkson will rebound and go with the white headband and the high socks. Underhand scoop to Moutier. Attacking from the left side. Reverse layup up and in for Emmanuel Moutier. 75-63, Jazz by 12. On eight, three ball for the lead in the secure the win is an air ball. Push ahead by Miami. Left side, Hill for the three and the win, and it's short, and Utah will win scrimmage number two. 101-99, Miami nicely bypassed a wide-open layup that would have forced overtime to kick it out to Solomon Hill for three, and we get to uh, end this one instead of playing an extra five minutes, or I wonder I wonder if we would have had a tie. I have no idea what the rules are if they had tied the game. I almost think we might have had a tie. Monday, 3.30 against Brooklyn, then Thursday, it all counts. And so, as you heard there from David Locke, one more to go, one more practice fake game scrimmage for the Utah Jazz as they take on the Brooklyn Nets this afternoon on the Zone Sports Network, and then it will be for Realsies coming up on Thursday. By far the strangest story out of the Orlando NBA bubble life so far is that of Lou Williams, uh, the Clippers guard who is an absolute game changer. He is, uh, for my money, he's the reason why I think the Clippers have uh, a better chance than anybody to win the NBA title this year and going forward. Uh, But, uh, you know, people would like to focus on Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, of course. I think it's the guys like Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams who make them almost unstoppable when they're all together. Well, the Clippers have had so much drama, even in just the few short days they've been inside the bubble, having five players leave the team at various times. For personal reasons, and that's what Luke Williams was cleared to leave the team, to leave the bubble, to attend a family member's funeral. Well, the NBA is has now launched and concluded an investigation into Lou Williams' activities and whereabouts while he was away from the bubble, and they have decided that he will have to undergo a 10-day quarantine due to the fact that he was at uh, various places that he had not been cleared to go to, including a strip club in Atlanta, which, look, and and here's where this this is just wild, because we don't know. Obviously, the the first on-the-surface assumption is that Lou Williams wanted to go out wanted to live his life, wanted to be a normal person, but also wanted to be part of this bubble life 
in Orlando and help the Clippers play basketball and try and win a championship. But he couldn't do both, and so he uh, used, either made up, or used a family member's death as an excuse to leave the bubble to really just go party at at a strip club. Uh, That's the first on-the-surface assumption. But you can't really do those things. You you can't really make those assumptions because just because Lou Williams uh, went to uh, a facility like that does not make it uh, an absolute ironclad slam the book, make him sit out the, the tournament situation because he might choose to grieve differently than you choose to grieve. And now I want to be, I want to make it 100% clear. I would venture a guess based on other things I know about Lou Williams' life, uh, which are completely untraditional. For example, he, until January, had two full-time partner slash girlfriends that knew about each other and were okay with that. That's not, that's a, that's a very non-traditional relationship, relationship setup. One of those girlfriends was pregnant with his child, delivered that child in January, and now uh, reportedly they have either broken up or are no longer exclusive. I don't know. But they were never exclusive in my book because she knew about the other woman and was fine with it. And, and Lou Williams uh, liked that situation. And so he's, he's led a non-traditional approach to these types of uh, things in his life compared to someone like my uh, situation. I was not raised... Uh, by the same parents uh, that Lou Williams was, obviously. I did not grow up in the same household. I would venture a guess that we have very political and religious beliefs. I would uh, think that if we took uh, a, a picture, a painting, and we each had to circle five things that we liked about that painting, I would venture a guess that three of the five would be completely uh, independent from the other person, at least. I would circle, of those five, I would circle three things that he wouldn't circle or vice versa. I think that what I'm trying to say in a very convoluted, confusing way, and I apologize for that, is that uh, my, my life and Lou Williams' life uh, are completely different and opposite. Right down to the fact that he's a multimillionaire that gets paid those millions of dollars to play a basketball game. Uh, so it's, it's not fair, is what I'm trying to get to, to just say... Ooh, Lou Williams, he's a selfish person. He doesn't care about the team. He just wanted to go party. We don't know all the circumstances. We don't know all the situation. But on the surface, it is just weird and bizarre. If, if it does boil down to, uh, let's say that, and I do believe, I believe they've confirmed that he did uh, have a family member pass away in that area and they were going to have a memorial service. I don't know if he... Uh, is confirmed to have attended said service or whatnot. But let, let's say that that's real because I can't, I just, I, I don't want to believe that he would just make something like that up to go party at the strip club. Let's say that, let's assume that someone in his family died and he did go down there for the services. Is it then required of him to hop right back in the limo, get right back to Florida and never interact with anybody at the, now, this is not something. I do when, when I go to celebrate someone's life and pay my respects at their death. I don't go to their funeral, their service, and then head to the strip club. That doesn't compute with my brain. But again, I have not led the same life that Lou Williams leads and has led. Uh, it's a completely different background. So while it seems foreign and weird uh, to someone like me, it may not seem foreign or weird to Lou Williams, obviously. 
But no matter what the circumstance is, whether or not he's telling the truth, if he's not telling the truth, he went to a strip club after getting express consent and permission to leave the bubble life to attend a family member's funeral. And in the world of a pandemic, the last place you probably need to be is where people are little or not at all clothed. (laughs) And you know what else goes on at a strip club? That's not really a, a safe bubble environment like they're trying to set up there in Orlando. And so I think the NBA is right to say, all right, you did this. We can't really fine you or anything like that. But you got to sit out 10 days and you got to make sure that those tests come back negative before you're allowed to play or be around anyone else. You have to be quarantined. And that means he's going to miss at least the first two games of these eight seeding games for the Los Angeles Clippers. And that's not just, like I said before, they've had five players leave, go and come from the Orlando situation the Clippers have. They're a bit of a mess off the floor right now, at least logistically. I don't know if that means that they it's going to affect them and they're going to lose more games than they would assume to lose. I don't know. But I do know that they are a team in flux when it comes to who is and isn't uh, safely inside that bubble environment there in Orlando for the Los Angeles Clippers. Just a bizarre story. And this is why I cannot wait... I wish there was full-time cameras and production crew going around in this bubble bringing us these sights and sounds, but someday it will be uh, made into a documentary or a docuseries. We will see these goings on, and it will be just fascinating to television and entertainment uh, to watch. So there you go. Just a weird situation with Lou Williams and the Los Angeles Clippers. Major League Baseball, the good news is, is going. Uh, it, it started last weekend. There was some really cool stuff that happened. It's been so far. It's been really high play outside, of course, of my angels who are just terrible and are are not good at all. But uh, everyone else in the league seemingly has played really well. Really high competition and high performances, and it's been a fun start of the season. Now I have not sat down and watched too much of it. I've seen almost all the highlights. I'm still really sour and really turned off by baseball and how they've gone about their business in this pandemic uh, world and hiding behind, in my opinion, hiding behind a a pandemic to try and get more money on both sides of the aisle for the owners and the players. It's, it's gross. And so I've not really been in love with baseball the way I usually am in the mid to late uh, time of July. That being said, it's been really good baseball so far. That's the good news. Uh, also good news is it's been fun to see these virtual crowds that Fox played around with over the weekend and the, the cardboard cutouts at other stadiums. It's, it's fun. It was also weird and fascinating to see uh, an umpire and a manager going at it while masked up. Uh, in the Pirates game against the Cardinals, the Pirates manager was ejected. He and the home plate umpire started towards each other before they both stopped, put on their masks, and then continued to <laughs> the traditional uh, yelling match that you see between uh, coaches and umpires when an ejection happens. So it's, all, it's been fun from an entertainment standpoint. The bad news is, is that the season not even being a week old, and one team has already experienced a coronavirus problem that will sideline a chunk of its roster 
and is causing the games to be canceled. The Marlins, who had four players test positive during their opening series against the Phillies, had an additional seven players, as well as a few coaches, test positive on Monday, less than 12 hours before they were supposed to play the home opener against the Baltimore Orioles. That means the Marlins have had at least 14 individuals become infected over the last several days. And in response to the outbreak, the Marlins game against the Orioles tonight is not going to happen. Baltimore GM Mike Elias confirmed the Phillies, who hosted the Marlins over the weekend at Citizens Bank Park, also had their Monday night game against the Yankees postponed. That, of course, because the Yankees were going to be utilizing the same, uh, uh, not dugout, but, well, yeah, dugout and clubhouse that the Marlins had been inhabiting over the last few days against the Phillies. Uh, and so this just, it's, it's amazing. Baseball couldn't find a bubble situation that the Players Association would agree to. So here they are, traveling amongst each other, trying to stay socially distant in these empty ballparks. But obviously, it's not working so far. Baseball is in real trouble here if they can't get a handle on this and end this outbreak there in Philadelphia and in Miami. Keep it there. End it there and don't get the Orioles, Yankees, and other teams involved in the virus because that would be a disaster. Baseball season would be over before it really had a chance to begin. So there you go, a little baseball news. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Utah State Athletics Director John Hartwell was on the Aggies All the Way podcast with Scott Gerard, and they played a bit of that on the Hanson Scotty show today on Monday. And this, this little snippet caught my ear. And this is just going to be a real short segment. BYU started practice today in Provo. They're still uh, missing games on their schedule. Uh, still have to fill those holes, but they've been given permission by the NCAA to start practice a little earlier than usual because of the pandemic and the unknowns and that sort of thing, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Seems more and more every day like football is going to be moved to the spring as I'm reading the tea leaves in my interpretation of it. Uh, but John Hartwell of Utah State told Scotty that uh, we're just a few days away now from knowing for sure where f- uh, college football stands as it comes to the fall of 2020. Yeah, the lens, the lens of it does change, um, you know, and, and it and it changes depending on whose perspective, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I talked to a couple of SEC administrators uh over the weekend, I've, I've talked to some other Power Five administrators and coaches, and it and and there's seems to be little different twists. Uh, you know, every every person you talk to, there's a little bit of a different twist, and and nothing that's consistent. You know, you would think if you had uh, five or six of those all line up together, you may say, hey, there seems to be some some coordination in this, but I think everybody. Uh, is trying to find a way uh, to make it work out, and and work, what works at uh, you know at, at West Virginia may not work at Florida State or, or vice versa. You know, just uh, and, and everybody has their own twist to it, and, and I I think there's got to be, and, and and I'm not saying that there has been no collaboration. There's obviously been significant yeah. talks back and forth, uh, but. I think here in the next 10 days, uh, you know, you're, you're going to have to see some some decisions made moving forward. Utah State Athletic Director John Hartwell there 
I uh, guess we'll find out here in just a few short days what is going to happen with college football this season. Last little thing here for you before we get to Military Monday. The NHL announced its new franchise, the Seattle Kraken. Uh, and at first, I kind of rolled my eyes and went, really, that's the best name you could come up with? Uh, a Pirates of the Caribbean character? Well, interesting enough, interestingly enough, I should say, Jerry Bruckheimer, the, the guy that made the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, is a uh, shareholder in the new team there in Seattle. But that really doesn't have much to do with the name. They went with the name, and I, I don't need to share all the details with you, but I would highly encourage you to read ESPN's write-up on the history of the process that they went through to come up and decide the name Kraken as their, their mascot. Uh, and they did their homework, and they wanted to tie in the maritime history as well as the, the, the mystic mists of the Pacific Northwest. I, thought, I think Kraken is a little childish, a little kiddish, a little cartoonish, but still I think it'll work. I think it's a cool name. And I'm really sold by the colors. I think the deep blue and the teal and the little red eye on the, the S with the tentacle on it, I think the colors and the logo are dynamite. I think it'll be great. And uh, I'm, just, I'm just plain real excited to have a professional sports team uh, rejoin there in Seattle or start there in Seattle. It should be the Seattle Supersonics, uh, Howard Schultz, and uh, the Chesapeake Bay Energy people of the Thunder really blew that whole situation but the Seattle Kraken, I'm excited to see them in action for the NHL here in a season and a half. course it being a military monday wanted to share this story with you from jason lee of ksl this is out of west jordan a utah soldier injured in overseas combat a half century ago is finally getting the recognition he earned after years of battling through bureaucratic red tape in washington dc private first class douglas evans was a member of company d first battalion 12th cavalry regiment while serving in the u.s army during the vietnam war on October 15, 1966, his platoon was preparing for a night raid. Upon being told by a village leader that it was a prepared trench a short distance away, Evans and some fellow soldiers were moving toward it when one of the men stepped on an IED. The blast sent Evans flying 30 feet into the trench, resulting in shrapnel injuries to his ear, mouth, ribcage, and lung. We were in a firefight that wiped out most of my company, he described. Uh, uh, during a uh, West, West Jordan uh, press conference where he was awarded the Purple Heart for injuries in that battle. Back in my platoon, there was only five of us that survived and the company commander was killed. Evans was hospitalized for a time where he was informed that he would be awarded a Purple Heart. The medal is a combat decoration that is awarded to members of the U.S. Armed Forces who are wounded in battle at the hands of the enemy. But there was a mix-up at the time and the proper paperwork was never filed so he never received the medal. Evans went on to serve for more than 20 years in the Army, including as a member of a Special Forces unit. Despite years of attempts to rectify the situation, Evans and his family were unable to convince the military that he served during Vietnam and he could not receive the medal. He said, quote, I brought in all my records and they said they checked and there was nothing they could do about it. 
Uh, he explained at the district office of U.S. Representative Ben McAdams, Democrat of Utah. We went to the Purple Heart Association and they basically just kept coming up with excuses as to why they couldn't do anything. Then in a stroke of good fortune, he caught a break while attending an outdoor recreation event. We went to an RV show and the American Legion booth was there and I told them my story. They said the only person that can do anything is probably Congressman McAdams because he's, because he's done a lot for the soldiers. Upon hearing of Evans' plight, McAdams and his staff worked with the Department of Defense for a few weeks to untangle a paperwork web that for 50 years had prevented the medal citation from being included in his official Army record. His office called and said, we've got good news for you. And then the congressman talked to me and said, we got your purple heart for you finally. Evans explained, it's amazing just to know that it's finally legal so I can actually wear it on the uniform even though I couldn't do it while I was active duty. It's pretty amazing. McAdams said he was grateful to be able to help the family resolve their decades-long dilemma. I was honored when Mr. Evans came to my office and asked for help with this case, he said. I'm inspired by his courage, sacrifice, and commitment to serving our country, and it is a privilege to work on his behalf. He said his office worked with a contact in the Secretary of the Army's office willing to do the legwork and sift through and find the necessary records needed for validation. Ultimately, once the records were located, it was clear that this was a recognition that Evans had earned. It's important to honor those people who have given in service to our country and to make sure that he gets this recognition for his sake and for those who are serving today to know that their country will honor and respect them, McAdams said. It's also important because as somebody who was injured in the line of duty, he's entitled to certain medical benefits that his country should give him as well. Bravo to Representative Ben McAdams. Tip of the cap and a heart-filled, uh, heartfelt rather thanks to Private First Class Doug Evans uh, of Company D, 1st Battalion, 12th Cavalry Regiment, for his service not only then in the Vietnam War, but for 20 years after, and during a uh, 20-year career, I should say, in the Army, and of course for taking uh, a wound like that physically, but then the mental wounds that he's had to endure all these decades, waiting for the recognition and benefits that he rightfully earned and deserves from this country. Uh, a, a happy ending to a really sad story, and I'm, I'm grateful that it ended well and that uh, that paperwork and that bureaucratic red tape lost this battle, and uh, Private First Class Evans finally is recognized, gets his medal, and the benefits that are rightfully his. That's going to do it for a Military Monday edition of the EP Podcast be back on an acoustic Wednesday. Enjoy the Utah Jazz scrimmage, the finale today against the Brooklyn Nets. We'll get to real basketball coming up on Thursday. I'm Austin Horton. Until Wednesday, be good to each other. Time now for the laugh of the day. And that other one the, uh, that I love is the luge. You know the luge where the guy wears the slick suit? This, this is on the bobsled run, but it's not even a sled. It's just Bob. It's just a human being hanging on for their life. This is the whole sport. Oh, he pointed his toes. Oh, this guy's a tremendous athlete. The luge is the only sport I've ever seen that you could have people competing in it against their will, and it would be exactly the same. You know, if they were just grabbing people off the street, hey, 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 what is this? I don't want to be in the loot. You know, you put the helmet on them, you wouldn't really hear them screaming, just... World record. Didn't even want to do it.
I want to see that event next year, the Involuntary Luge. <laughs>